Amen. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 4, and we're going to read from verse 1. There's quite a bit of Scripture to read. I'll try and read as quickly as possible. But John chapter 4, verse 1, says the following. John 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Hello? Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria, verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me as Samaritan? Woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever... Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Can you say amen? But the water that I shall give him or her will become in him or in her a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and was a lapa. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir. I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor have to travel on, on, on El Air, what's it, LL, to go to Jerusalem to worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, hallelujah. But the hour is coming, and in fact now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. Say that after me. One more time. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he had talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men of that city, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Can you say amen? I want to talk to you just to continue this morning what I spoke this morning, happy hour. How many of you remember happy hour? Before you got saved, you remember that there was a happy hour? A jabula hour, yeah, you remember happy hour? Well, this is not that kind of a drink that I'm talking about. Can you say amen? Now, this morning I spoke about certain things about Jesus, and I want you to understand that the heart of God, God's heart, the heart of the Father is for every lost individual. God's heart is for people. And if we do not have a heart for people, it means we actually do not have a heart for God. Can I say that again? If you do not have a heart for people, then actually it means you do not have a heart for God. I don't care how many times you say hallelujah and how pretty you look when you lift your hands up. If you do not have a heart for people and lost people at that, then you do not have a heart for God because the closest thing to the heart of the Father is people. He, he doesn't just love people. He is madly in love with people. He is madly in love with people. We sing that song, Reckless Love. And somebody said, oh, I, I don't know if I believe in reckless. You know, you're saying my God is reckless? Is my God reckless? Well, to leave 99 sheep and go after one sheep I don't know about you, but in my dictionary, in my understanding, and I know that I'm limited, I would say that that's reckless. Hello? No, I don't mean that God's schizophrenic and he's psychotic, but there is a reckless love. In other words, he will do whatever it needs to do to get to that lost person. We think that when we go to a pub to witness to somebody, that God comes there. God was waiting for you at that pub. When you go to that crack house to visit somebody and witness, you think you're bringing God with you? God's already at that crack house waiting for somebody who will share the love of the Father, waiting for somebody who will just tell that prostitute, tell that drug addict that somebody loves them, that somebody cares for them, that somebody is able to forgive them and receive them and welcome them into the house of the Father. Hallelujah. So we need to understand that God is into people, and if God is into people, we need to be into people. Can you say amen? So that's the vision of this house. Let me just re reiterate it again, the reap vision. What is the reap vision of this house? It's reaping everything Jesus accomplished for the glory of God. That's what we live for, to see every one of you reap everything reap everything from Genesis to Revelation as much as your faith can wrap itself around as much as your faith can handle as much as your, uh, your, the eyes of your faith can see our job every pastor and every staff in this church is to serve you so that you can reap everything that Jesus accomplished for the glory of God that's what our vision is how do you break that up, Pastor? Very simply, number one, finding God, knowing God. That's what our reach, reach, R stands for reach. It doesn't say reach, stand on your toes, see how, how, how you can reach. 
How high can you reach? How high can you reach, Pastor Ron? Stand on your tippy toes and see how high you can reach. The reach means we want everybody to have an encounter with God. Everybody ought to have an encounter with God. That's what we live for. We create an atmosphere of worship and prayer and the Word. So what? That every single person can encounter God. Then when they know God, when they have come to know God, number two, that they can find freedom. Hallelujah. How does that freedom come? It comes through the Word. And when that Word is shared in the community of life groups, that's why we're not a church that has life groups. We're a life group church. Because why? You were created to do life together. If you haven't figured that out, it's time that you figured that out. You're trying to work all by yourself. You're not going to all by myself. Don't want to be all by myself. You know that song in the early 70s? A lot of you weren't born. But anyways, just leave it at that. So it's knowing God, and then after that, it's finding freedom. We want people to find freedom. The Word of God will deliver. The Holy Spirit will deliver. But there are people in that life group that will walk with you through the process. Hallelujah. You need somebody to walk through the process of life with you. We, are, we were created to do life together, knowing God, finding freedom. After that, it's helping every person discover their God-given purpose. Number four, that you can then make a difference. That's what we live for. That's the vision of this house. Put that in another way, pastor. I can't, I can't compute that. Okay, I'll help you. It's this way. Then it means basically that saved people are, are lost people are saved people. The lost people are saved. The saved people then are pastored. They are shepherded. They are cared for. Where? In the life groups. Most of the pastoring takes place in the life groups. Amen. Hallelujah. You're waiting for a pastor to come and visit you. I'm also waiting for a pastor to come visit me. Ever since I joined this church, I didn't have a pastor to come and visit me. But that didn't stop me from going on in God. Hallelujah. But every one of us are shepherds. Every one of us. Cain said, why are you asking me where my brother is? Am I my brother's keeper? As a matter of fact, Cain, you are. As a matter of fact, every one of us is our brother's keeper. Every one of us is to shepherd each other. Hello. You shepherd me, I shepherd you. You care for me, I care for you. You pray for me, I pray for you. That's the body of Christ in action. Hallelujah. Yeah, I know we do get fivefold ministry, and that's great, but that's for the equipping of the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. Hallelujah. So lost people get saved. Saved people are pastored. Pastored people are trained and discipled. That's what we do in our Bible school, the Shepherd School of Ministry. And then trained and discipled people are mobilized. Hallelujah. That's basically what we exist for. Here Jesus is at the well. And I want to share just three things about how you can lead somebody to have an encounter with God. You don't need to be theological. Can I just tell you, the more theological you are, the more you mess up. The more you know, the more you get in the way, actually. The less you know, the more effective you are. I'm just being honest. People try and spiritualize, you know, and they're waving their arms and all kinds of spooky stuff. That's not gonna get the lost in. 
Jesus was very simple. So I want to share three things how you can help others encounter Jesus. Number one, you've got to show a genuine love and concern for people. Don't you try and preach to them if you haven't shown them that there is deep-seated on the inside of them a genuine love and concern for that individual. They're not ready for spiritual matters. People know where you stand. They want something that's real. They want you and I to be authentic. People are looking for what is genuine. They're looking for what young people today want what's real and authentic. That's why reality TV shows are such a big hit. Not that I'm advocating them, but they're such a big hit. Why? Because they want the real stuff, even though it's the, you know, terrible stuff and what goes on in those things, uh, you know. But they want reality. People want what's authentic. And they know, people know, people know when you have a genuine concern for them. Hello? Hallelujah. So how do we do this? How do we have a genuine love and concern for people? How do we get to do this? We do it by building meaningful relationships with people. You can't get away from the fact that we were created and wired to do life together. We were built and made for relationships. That's how we, that's how we, 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 were, we were created by God. We were created by God for that. So you can't bypass that. So you build meaningful and purposeful relationships with people, all right? And so, uh, and, and how else can we do this? How, how else can we show them that there's a genuine love and concern? Not only by building meaningful relationships, but also taking every opportunity, hear me now, taking every opportunity to share your faith in a very real and a very natural way. Even though there is the supernatural, it has to be in a very real and natural way. What were the first four words that Jesus spoke to this woman? He said, give me a drink. That sounds like something very real and natural. He was thirsty. She had come to the well to draw water, and so he was showing a genuine love and concern by just speaking something very real and very natural, taking every opportunity to share your faith in a very real and natural world. I said it this morning, God's given us minds. Let's use our minds. We're not in some cult where we're under some hypnotic spell and, you know, we're forced to do crazy things. If you can't stop doing something, then, then that's not God. That, you, you need deliverance, actually. You might need a psychiatrist as well. I don't know. But God will never get you to do stupid things, you know, crazy things that you have no control over. He's given you a mind. Let's use our mind. Let's think intellectually. Yeah, allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Of course we need the Holy Spirit. But we've confused like flaky stuff and spooky stuff with the anointing. That's not the anointing. That's your flesh. And, and people look at you and say, man, I, I, I can suggest a good psychiatrist for you. If that's your God, keep your God. I, I, I don't want your God. How many of you are hearing what I'm saying? All right. So when we look at Jesus... 
I mean, you see, his love was genuine and concerned. He spoke to her in a very real and natural way. Because why? He wanted to establish some kind of a relationship in the short space of time that he had with her. But eventually did lead to spiritual matters. Hallelujah. If I remember the person that led me to the Lord, Roland Lenny Manny, I think about two things when I think about him. In that first year when I was studying at uh, University of K KZN, I was doing a BSc uh, science degree uh, first year, and he was in that class. But the two things that really stick out for me when I think about him, and I think back, it was 1982, that year. Some of you weren't even born in that year. But when I think about it, it was his genuine love and concern for me. He was like there all the time. I would turn and there he was. He was just there with me all the time. Just stuck with me, hung with me. And every so often he would, he would talk something. And, 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 but, but it was just I could feel this genuine love and concern that he had with me because he was trying to build a meaningful relationship with me, which he successfully did. When that relationship was built, he was able to talk about spiritual matters, even though I didn't understand, but it provoked something in me. Hello? Anybody understanding what I'm saying? And then the second thing about Roland Lenny Manny, not only did he have a genuine love and concern for me, I felt this incredible love that he had for God and for me. It's impossible to try and share your faith if you if your heart's not right with God if you if you're cold with God if you're cold with God if the last time you had an encounter with God was 1904 it's going to be a difficult time for you to share your faith with people sharing your faith with people is not as spiritual as we think it is people back up back off because they think I need like a thousand scriptures I need to know the Greek I need to know when the rapture is going to take place I need to know who the beast is in the book of Revelation. Who do I think the Antichrist is? I need to know, is it pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Is it any kind of a trip? What kind of a trip is it? I don't know. All of that, forget about all of that. You don't need to know that. You just need to build a meaningful relationship with that person. That person needs to know that you have a genuine love and concern for them, that you're interested in them. That you're not trying to just get another brownie point into heaven. That's the feeling I get, you know, with the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons. They're like trying to get somebody else onto their side. One more, one more, yay, we got one more, one more into this thing. No, it's not about that. It's about building a relationship with somebody. And out of, out of your vertical relationship comes the horizontal relationship. Can you say amen? So number one. To have a genuine love and concern for people. Number two, there's just going to be three things here. Number three, God wants you to share your story. Everybody has a story to tell. The fact that you had an encounter with Almighty God. Out of there comes your testimony. And out of that testimony comes your story. And it might not be the same story that I have, but every one of you has a story. And let me tell you, your world needs to hear your story in whatever version you want to say it. Hallelujah.
If you want to use a whole lot of Christianese, you can do that. But I would suggest just tell your story in the most simplest way that you possibly can. When you've had an encounter with God and that is a reality to you, you don't have to prepare for it. You don't have to fast three days for it. It's on the inside of you. You encountered the living Christ. You came to know Christ through this encounter. And I need to tell my story to you. And if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. Pump your neighbor and tell them, you've got a story to tell. Come on, every one of you, every one of you has a story to tell. Your story might not be like my story. That doesn't make it any less of a story. It doesn't make it any less of a story. It is a story because it's his story that he put on the inside of you. When you had that encounter and there's somebody in Durban, there's somebody in your family, there's somebody in your workplace that needs to hear your version of your story, the way you experienced it, the way you felt it, the way it happened for you, somebody needs to hear it. Bump your neighbor and tell them it's time to speak up. But you see, it's looking for that opportunity to share your story that oftentimes is the crucial part. Jesus didn't straight away run into the spiritual things. He spoke, about, he spoke about what we call a common interest. To tell your story, you must establish a common interest because a common interest usually creates a bridge for connection. Can I say that again? To tell your story, you oftentimes have to look for a common interest because a common interest is a bridge that is built to connect you to that person so that you can share that story. What are some common interests? Some common interests are basically, uh, you know, your work environment, your family. Women are, are great at this. They will use their family. They will talk about their children, about their grandchildren. They will talk about family. But family is a great point of common interest. We can use that. We can use that to build a rapport to build this relationship, to build this bridge over which I can then bring the rest of the goods. I'm building a bridge because in my mind, I've got some goods that I need to deliver, hallelujah. But I first need to establish a rapport. I first need to establish a connection. And I build a bridge by looking for a common interest. If you're a guy, then maybe it's sport, maybe it's cars, maybe it's, I don't know, it's rugby, it's football, it's uh, talk about the weather. You see somebody likes to fish, you talk about fishing. You look for a common interest. Hallelujah. When you establish a common interest and there is a connection, it makes it easier to then talk about spiritual matters. Jesus said, give me a drink. He used that as a common interest. She had a common interest. I'm coming to the well to draw water. Jesus was weary and thirsty. They both had a common interest. He used that common interest to then speak about physical water that then resulted in spiritual water. And then what he did was that he saw that her need was filled with the wrong thing. In other words, every one of us has a God space that only God can fill. And Jesus perceived by the gifts of the Spirit that she was trying to fill that vacuum with all these men. And she was on the six men, and even that lost man couldn't fill the space. 
And so he had to try and get her to understand. You see, sometimes we want to try and move too fast, too quickly. But he just lay the groundwork for her. And he established a common interest. I want some water. And then he talks about, you know, if you drink from this well, you're going to drink again. But I tell you what, if you, if you drink of the water I give you, you will never thirst. It was like, I forget, never forget when I was talking to my uncle the one time. And, you know, he kind of, they ridiculed me and laughed at me when I got saved and tried to shoo me down and all of that. So the one day, um, he came to visit when I was still living with my grandmother and I think I was studying, I can't remember, I think I was in my second or third year. And so he came to visit, and, and i just come back from Cape Town. And so he said, oh, I heard you came, you've just come back from Cape Town. How was it? Oh, I said, uncle was great, great. Oh, he said, you know, Cape Town is the wine country. I hope you came back with some wine. Now, he knows I don't drink. So I, 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 I said, yes, it is the wine country. And I've come back with the new wine. I said, I got the new wine. He goes, new wine? What, what new wine is that? I haven't heard of that wine before. You know, tell me. You know, he thought he was one up on me. I wish I could have captured the expression on his face when I spoke about new wine. I said, I've got new wine, man, that nobody's had before, man. Nobody's manufactured. It's, no, it's a no bottle. There's no label for this kind of a wine. And then eventually he backed off me, but I got him good. <laughs> I got him good. So we establish common interests, sport, weather. You can talk sometimes about travel. Whatever it is, you find something that is a common interest because a common interest very often is a bridge that is built so that you can form a connection and then you can bring the rest of the goods. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Lastly, very quickly, number three. Number one, genuine love and concern for people. All right. You build meaningful relationships out of there. You share in a very natural and real way. Number two, uh, share your story. Number three, here it is. Allow the Holy Spirit to spark a spiritual interest on the inside of that person. Psychologists tell us that we have three basic needs. It's emotional needs. There are physical needs. And there are spiritual needs that every man, every woman has. And of the three of them, the greatest that the Bible teaches is spiritual need. Everybody has a need to be filled spiritually. Can I say that again? Whether they atheists, whether they agnostics, whatever they might be, they were created by God, wired by God, and on the inside of them, whether they like to acknowledge it or not, there is a spiritual need to be reconciled back to God, forgiven by God, accepted by God, loved by God. Everybody has that need. Hallelujah. And so what did Jesus do? He allowed the Holy Spirit through his life to spark an interest, a spiritual interest, which then leads us into where she says about talking about worship. And he says, listen, God is spirit. If you're going to come to God, you have to be born again. It is spirit unto spirit. You don't have to travel to some geographical location to find God. You have to be born again. That woman is so impacted by Jesus' life that she goes into the city of Samaria and tells her story. She said, come and, come and see somebody who told me everything I ever did. She had a story to tell. She shared her story. 
that Samaria was turned the upside down, upside up, whatever, right side up, not upside down, but the right side up. Her, her witnessing, her sharing her story was so significant, she made such a difference in that city that many years later in Acts chapter 8, when Philip, who's just an ordinary disciple, heads out to Samaria to preach there, he has a phenomenal revival. Now, I know, he, maybe he must have been a good preacher. I'll give him that. Maybe he, you know, he, maybe he prayed and fasted. I'll give him that. But I'll tell you what else. I'll tell you what else was the key to that revival in that city. It was this woman who many years previously had gone into that city and stirred up the hearts and prepared the hearts for people so much so that John and Peter are summoned from Jerusalem to come into Samaria. They lay hands on the Samaritans who received the Holy Ghost. A great revival. Read it in Acts chapter 8. The Bible says when Philip preached, demons came out. People were delivered. People were healed. A great deliverance, a great healing, a great revival. They received the Holy Ghost. How did that all happen? from just a simple woman sharing her story. Think about what, what could happen to Durban when you share your story. Think about what could happen in your neighborhood when you just share your story. Not religiously, not, you know, theologically, just a simple establishing a connection, finding a common interest, and sharing your story in a very real and natural way, but yet allowing the Holy Spirit to work in that person's life. Can you say amen?